We have left up uh, a very subtle image. I don't know if you can see it. Look closely. Uh, that's actually from our vision night. Uh, we, had a, we talked about what it looked like to have a radical focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, it was very subtle, but I think it was communicated well. Um, uh, and I'll reference that later on this during our time together. But if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been this semester. And it has been extremely refreshing and helpful uh, to me personally. Um, and uh, I hope to you as well as we've been studying uh, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to pr- read for us, pray, and then launch in. It says this, starting in verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much that you are a good father who loves to give good gifts to your kids. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves to say yes. And Lord, I I pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would help us to be people that live lives of expectation. People that live lives for expectation that you will say yes, you will bless your kids if we ask according to your will. So Lord, I pray that we would be a faith-filled people as we rightly understand your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, I lift up this morning to you. I lift up each person to you. Guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're talking about prayer. And if you ever think about prayer, what does prayer mean? I, I think we, we, we may dismiss or miss the significance of the moment. Because prayer is the opportunity to stand in front of an infinite God. I mean, you are, you are in this moment. God allows you to stand before infinity and talk to the God of the universe um, and make requests. But there's also a second piece to that. It's not only an infinite God, it's an intimate God. A God who wants to know you. A God who wants to interact with you. A God who cares and loves for you. There's um, infinity, but also intimacy in the person of God. And, and, and as I've been studying for this, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, in his study of the Sermon on the Mount, has an amazing statement about this section of Scripture. He says this, I cannot imagine a better, more cheering, or more comforting statement with which to face all the uncertainties and hazards of our life in this world of time that contains in verses 7 through 11. It is one of those great, comprehensive, and gracious promises which are to be found only in the Bible. There is nothing that can be more encouraging as we face life and all of its uncertainties and possibilities. Our future is all unknown. And I love that statement. He says, as I, as I, as I read these verses... And as I think about the uncertainties of life, in which we've faced many in 2020, amen? To know that we have a God who loves to hear from us, who loves to lean toward us. 
And as I think about this, this text, I think about the types of kids God wants us to be. Because in, in this section of the gospel, Jesus is talking about his kingdom people. He says, my people, how they interact with me is, is, is like this. We are his kingdom people. We are God's children if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is, is how does God want us to see him? And how does God want us to interact with him? And the challenge with that is this, is that we've all had um, experiences with people in authority, people above us, maybe even parents or, or teachers or coaches, that there's a picture of authority that doesn't seem like an inviting interaction. And we apply that interaction to God. Um, I, I had certain teachers growing up in, in which I would describe this was the environment they wanted to create. In their, in their view, they wanted to create an environment where the rules were rigid, where the goal was conformity, and silence was success. Rigid rules, conformity, and silence. And if we have a classroom full of students that are quiet and don't talk to me and just do what I say, that is a winning environment. And for me personally, I'm just going to be honest with you, um, I hated those environments. And I rebelled against those environments. In fact, I'm the only person I know that got detention in elementary school. True story. They would write my name on the board uh, when I did something wrong. And then as I would continue to talk, they would continue to write check marks along the way. And then I would have detention. Um, and and what's the, the irony of ironies of that is that I couldn't keep my mouth shut and now I get paid to speak. And so I just want to meet those teachers and be like, you know what? Um, anyway, but, but that was the environment they wanted to create. Silence, conformity, rigidness. But then I had other teachers where the goal, their goals were different in the classroom. The, the rules were there to create freedom. The goal was creative interaction. Success was engagement. And in those environments, I thrived. In fact, I had one teacher named Mrs. Kirby in fifth grade who was amazing. She sang songs for us. And so engagement, what are the rules? Sing the song. And so I don't remember um, all of the lyrics to this one song that she made up, but it was to memorize all the explorers, right? And so the one line that I remember is this, that Ponce de Leon was really cute. He searched and searched for the fountain of youth in the land that we called Florida. Uh, uh. So that was one line from the song. And so what is, what is the creative interaction? What is the engagement? It's like, you sing the songs of the explorers. Explorers, right? And then we'd have all these creative interactions where we would make swords and, and boats to represent the Vikings and learn about these creative adventures. And in all of these things, I realized those were environments where I thrived, where engagement was the goal, creative interaction, the rules were there to show us the freedom in which we could interact. Those were environments where I thrived. And that's the God that we have. It's a God that says, hey, here are the rules that I want you to engage in. Here's the creative freedom that you can have. Here is what success looks like. When you engage with the God of the universe, that's when, when life is successful in the Christian realm. It's not a rule, a, a, a rule book of conformity. It's, a, it's an interaction of engagement. And when we do that, life gets fun. When we do that, we get to see God move. When we engage with the creator of the universe, he says, I want to engage intimately with you. And then we can see what happens in life because life will transform if we live in that sort of relationship with our heavenly father. And there's three pieces I want to give us this morning that I think Jesus gives us in this text. The first is this, um, 
that we would live a life of full expectation. Secondly, that we would be persevering in life, in our prayer life. And thirdly, that we would trust God with our prayers. That we would have prayerful Christian lives that were full of expectation, persevering, and trusting. The first thing that he says is this, that I want you to live a life that's full of expectation. Matthew 7, verse 7, he says it this way, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He says these three words, ask, seek, ask, seek, and knock. And what's interesting about that word is, is each one of those words is, is calling us to engage. It's calling us to be active with our faith, that we would, we would ask God for things, that we would seek answers for things, and that we would knock because God is willing to answer. Ask means this in Greek, if I can nerd out a little bit, a couple of these words. It means to ask with a sense of urgency, with the implication of presuming need. It means to plead or to beg. It means when we ask God, that means we're begging, we're pleading, we're saying, God, will you do this for me? God, will you interact in this situation? It's an urgency of interaction. And it says, if you ask that way, it will be given to you. The word give is actually used to describe um, the sacrifice or an offering. Like we would offer to God, or they would offer to God a sacrifice. God says, I'm willing to sacrifice for you if you would actually come and ask from me. I remember when I was in college, I first started actually praying to God. I remember 19 years old. I'm like, okay, God, you say you're like this. You say that you like to interact with your kids. I'm going to put you to the test. And so I started praying. I started reading my Bible. And I was like, God, I don't understand this. Will you, would you make this make sense to me? And I remember God loving to answer that prayer with yes as he brought insight and understanding to my mind. I remember one time that someone asked me like, hey, have you ever shared your faith with someone? And I'm like, good God, no. No, never. And they're like, have you prayed about that? And I'm like, why would I want to pray for that? Like, I, no, I, I have not and I don't want to pray for that. And they're like, why don't you pray about it? And I'm like, Fine. And so I started praying, God, would you give me opportunity to share my faith? And it was amazing what would happen. There'd be people that would walk up and be like, hey, why are you a Christian? And I'm like, oh gosh, I need an answer for that. And, and I would have to engage with people. But as you simply pray, it's amazing. God says, yes, I love to answer those types of prayers. And he says, seek. It's interesting. That word means to seek something that has been lost or it could mean to demand what is due. The word implies a serious effort. It means seek. It means like, uh, like the, the parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin. That there's, there's something that you want to have and it's lost. And if you lose something, it's lost on a couch cushion or lost somewhere in the house, what do you do? You ransack everything. Everything goes in the air as you seek this thing out. He's saying, yes, as you ask me and as you seek my answers, you will find it. It will be revealed to you. And he says, I want you to knock. The word could mean to strike or to knock. And I love that. It, it means he's asking us to beat onto the chest of God. That means you come to me and you beat on my chest. You beg me, will you do something, God? Will you seek me? He says, if you start pounding on those doors, what God says is I will open them up. As you ask for things, as you seek me, as you start pounding on God's chest, God says, that's what I'm talking about. I love to answer those types of prayers. Now, is this a, um, a blank check? 
Is that what God's saying? Like if you ask anything and just start pounding hard enough, I'll give it to you. God, I need a Ferrari. So please, 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 please. please. Like, is that what he's saying? No. You have to read the Bible in context. It's very important. Like when you read the Bible, you don't proof text. You don't take one text and say, I believe in this. You have to read the Bible in context. And so what is the context in which Jesus is saying this? Well, in the immediate context, he has just talked to his disciples about how to um, judge a person rightly, how to judge them well, and to, to remove things that would hurt a person's life. Not only remove your own issues, but the wisdom to help remove the issues in the lives of others. And he's saying, in that context, I'm happy to answer that prayer. If you don't know how to interact with someone and there's a struggle that you're having, I'm happy to answer that prayer. So that's the immediate context. But there's also a, a, a larger context in which Jesus is writing this. He's writing it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, he's writing to his people, how are you going to be my kingdom people? This is the qualities I want you to embrace. This is how I want you to interact with God. This is how I want you to interact with others. And as you look at those, those commands that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount, all of us could go, man, I'm not sure that I'm capable of living up to that standard. And Jesus in that context is saying, if you just ask, I can make it true in your life. It's impossible with you, but it's not impossible with God. I can work these things in your life and in your heart if you actually do them. A couple other New Testament writers also give some parameters for our prayers. You gotta ask yourself the question, am I praying in line with the types of things God wants to do? James 4 says it this way. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So one question you have to ask in your prayer life is this, am, am I asking selfishly? Am I asking for things just to spend on myself? And God's like, okay, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. First John 5 says it this way. First John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so there's a second kind of, kind of barrier to this. He says, I want you to ask according to my will. But within those guidelines of like, according to my will, um, according to, um, to, to, to spend on things that aren't just your personal desires, he says, I'm happy to answer that prayer. And we can pray these prayers in expectation that God will answer with a simple yes. That's what Jesus is saying. A.W. Tozer says this, to pray without expectation is to misunderstand the whole concept of prayer and relationship with God. In order to pray rightly, it means that we believe that God is one to answer his prayers, to answer our prayers. And, and, and think about it. What if you believe this? What if you actually believe that anything you ask according to his will, according to his design, God would happily say yes to? What if you actually prayed that way? I, I would tell you what, there'd be a couple things that would happen. First is that we would be a hope-filled people. There would be an expectation of hope. Like God's real, he's active, and he is willing to say yes if we actually would pray. And secondly, this, that we would be a risk-taking people. We would be willing to risk because we knew that God would say yes. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Caleb. So Caleb and Joshua uh, were helped with Israel as they were coming out of the promised land. And Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land to spy it out. 10 came back with a bad report, two came back with a good report. Caleb was one of those two. 
And when Caleb came back, he was like, okay, God has given us this land. He has told us this is our opportunity and he is willing to bless us. I'm ready to go. Are we ready to fight? Yes, says Caleb. And he is ready for action. But the people disobeyed. They lived in fear and not faith. And so God said, okay, that, I'm removing that opportunity. And for the next 40 years, you're going to wander around in the wilderness. It's the tough part when you're dealing with an infinite God is that he can wait you out. And so that generation dies and he says, okay, I'm going to start with the next generation. And here's what Caleb says in Joshua chapter 14. It says, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea concerning me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again that was all that was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have followed holy the Lord your God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years. 45 years. He's 85 years old. Do you think God's slow in answering your prayer sometimes? Have you been waiting for, 80, for 45 years? Are you 85 years old? He says, and now, I am still as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me my strength now as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country on which the Lord spoke on that day for you heard it on that day how the Anakim were there and with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has said. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of expectation. God, it's been 45 years since you already gave me a yes, and now's my opportunity, and I'm ready to go. He is 85 years old, and he is still ready to go where God says yes. I love that. That is a heart of expectation. I believe that God is capable of great things, and I want to be a part of the great things God is doing. My question is this, do you have prayers of expectation? Do you have risk-taking prayers? That if God says yes, you'd be willing to go. See, that's the type of prayers that Jesus is talking about. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll be fine. Knock, and that door will be opened. Are we praying prayers, expecting God to say, yes, that's my son, that's my daughter. I'm happy to put the wind behind their sails. The second quality, not only expectation, secondly, that we'd be persevering in our prayers. Verse eight, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's almost like he's repeating the same ideas, but he's, he's, he's phrasing it in a little different way. He's like, look, God is happy to answer. And here's what I'm gonna tell you about your prayers. They need to be persevering. Each one of those words, ask, ask, seek, and knock. I'm gonna nerd out in the Greek a little bit. They are present imperatives. And what that means is, is it assumes a continuous action. 
It means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It assumes a continuous action. It means that we persevere in our prayers. It means that we pray prayers and we actually track the results. I think one of the, one of the challenges I have in my own life is that I pray prayers, but I never track them. I don't persevere because, man, that was last week's issue, right? Like I prayed for that last week and maybe I remember it, maybe I don't, but I just kind of move on with my life and I don't track the results, And because I don't track the results, I often don't have consistency in my prayer life because I'll write down one thing, but I won't write it down again and remember to pray and pray and pray. And when I don't persevere in my prayers, I shouldn't expect to see consistent results. And so he's saying, I want you to persevere. I want you to ask and keep on asking. What is that issue? What is that thing? Are you asking and continuing to ask? John Piper says this, perseverance is the great test of genuineness in the Christian life. Perseverance is the great test of the genuineness of the Christian life. And if you ask yourself the question, have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I not persevere in prayer? prayer? There's a couple reasons I, I came up with. One is that God might say yes. I think some of us don't pray for things because we actually don't want God to say yes. Because if God said yes, that would mean I suddenly have to risk. Like, I don't want to pray that I have to share my faith with this person. Why? Because then I have to go for the awkwardness of doing it, right? I don't want to pray if God wants to send me on the mission field or, or do some other crazy thing with my life. Why? Because he might say yes. And then I'd have to like go through all the awkwardness of raising support and getting my family or whatever overseas. Like, I don't want to go through that awkwardness. God might say yes, and so I don't pray brave prayers. Or secondly, for some of us, it's because of past disappointments. I mean, we, we've prayed big prayers and we wanted God to move. We prayed for that, that job or maybe that spouse or that opportunity and God didn't bring it to fruition. And because of past disappointments, we find ourselves jaded in the present. Like I'm not gonna ask or risk to pray big things because I'm afraid of God saying no. And so I'm just gonna go easy. I'm going to go easy in life because I don't believe God will come through this time. And the third reason we don't pray big prayers is this. We have a loss of wonder. I was reading an article um, by Margaret Feinberg, and she has a book entitled, Wonderstruck, Awaken the Nearness of God. And she was speaking at an event of over 1,500 Christian leaders at this event. And she walks off stage and she stands um, by a, a stage person that helped kind of run the, the event of all these Christian leaders. And she comes off and she stood beside him and she says this to him. I stood next to him and said, um, how do I not become that thing? And the guy beside her was like, what? He said this, I struggle to describe the emptiness, the hollowness I'd seen. Those who speak of the beauty of God but when, they, when you look in their eyes, you can tell they're not fully present and have become only a ghost of their former selves. How do you remain fully present, fully engaged, fully alive in a ministry that can become mundane, mundane, remote, and nothing more than empty repetition? I don't just ask the question in public gatherings, but private ones. 
not only among ministers, but among entrepreneurs, stay-at-home moms, empty nesters, retirees, and college students, because I've seen that ghost-like look in countless eyes of age and socioeconomic status. But then she says, okay, so I was trying to figure out how do I not just become rote in my Christian faith? So she has coffee with a friend of hers, a friend of hers named Nancy. And she asks her again the question. I describe the question, how do I not become a hollow soul? Her friend says, never lose the wonder. I drank slowly those four words. Why had no one suggested that sooner? Have we lost the wonder? The wonder that God might do something great again? When you read the Bible, these aren't things that happened in a land far, far ago, in a galaxy far, far away. These are evidences of the proof that what God can do. He's an infinite creator that loves to answer prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. Do we actually believe it? And she also quotes in this article, Isaiah chapter 29 says this, therefore, once again, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder, The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. I will astonish these people with wonder. Have we lost the wonder in our prayer life? Do we pray with expectation and perseverance, knowing that the king of the universe is willing to say yes? I was reading um, a book by uh, Craig Groeschel called Dangerous Prayers. I haven't finished the book, but... What's funny, at the beginning of the book, he writes about an interaction he had with a friend of his. Um, he was a pa- he's a pastor. And uh, his friend asked him this question, hey, why are your prayers so lame? And I was like, oh, that's sharp. <laughs> you know, and, and he's a Christian leader. And his friend like, legitimately asked him, hey, why are your prayers so lame? And, and he thought about that. And he was, he was like taken aback. And so he went through all of this process to go, okay, God, am I actually praying for the impossible? Am I actually praying, believing that I'm interacting with the God of the universe? And so he began this process in his life of developing um, the, prince, the, the discipline of praying dangerous prayers. And he writes this, during one of my dangerous prayers of submission, God prompted me to add one small thing in my life that has um, made a big difference. Since we cannot please God without faith, I believe God asked me to simply do one thing daily that takes faith. Every day, no matter what, at least one faith-filled act. That simple challenge changed the way I lived. Instead of existing passively, I started living aggressively and watching for opportunities to exhibit faith. I mean, it's a simple shift. It's a willingness to say, God, You might do something big, and I might want to be a part. God, you might be doing something big in this person's life. And and so the question is, what what are the things in life that you need to pray for? Is there salvation for a friend or a loved one? Is it for God to do something big within your job or your community? Is there something God can do within this church? Is there a change in your own heart that that you've been wanting God to do in your own life? And and instead of waiting passively, take it aggressively. I'm gonna take this to the feet of the Lord, knowing that if I ask and seek and knock, he is willing to say yes. 
Are we persevering in our prayers? And the last reason I think that some of us do not persevere in our prayer life, even though we, we know Jesus says, you can pray in expectancy, I want you to persevere. There's, there's, a, there's a third reason that he really addresses at the end of this passage as to why we don't really persevere in faith is because ultimately we don't really trust God. He says this in verse, starting in verse nine. And which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christian lives, I would say that it is our failure to know God as our Father as we should know him. Do you know God as your generous, giving Heavenly Father? And even as I say that, I know that many of us are like all over the map when I say that. Um, I personally had an amazing father. Um, my, my dad was a generous, generous father, and not because he was wealthy. I, I remember some uh, years where uh, his shoes would be worn out. And he would buy me shoes so that his kids would have shoes. And he'd be walking out in, around in old, worn-out shoes. But he bought me, like, Jordans. I was like, why did you buy me Jordans and not even buy your own self shoes? He was a dad who loved to sacrifice for his kids. And so when it comes to this picture of God as a, as a giver, I'm like, that, that's easy. I can easily picture the, the love of my earthly father because he was that type of, of man. But I know that's not true for all of you. Um, some of your fathers were not generous in giving and, 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 and helpful and willing to give in whatever need that you have. And, and what Jesus is saying in this moment is I want you to reframe that. I want you to take a moment and, and reset your picture of your heavenly father. And he says, which of you, if your kid asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? And the answer for any good father, the answer is, I would never do that. If my kid is hungry, I'm gonna go do everything I can to get him a piece of bread and give it to him. It's, it's easy. Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? No, you would never do that. He says, if you who are evil know how to good give, good, give good gifts, how much more than your heavenly father? And I think that, that it's, it's a true statement, but I think he, it would almost have been like a, a nervous laughter among everyone. They're like, hey, if you who are evil, like all of you, y'all are all evil. Like if y'all are evil and y'all know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? And he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Like, like we, we, are, we are lost in sin. We are broken in so many ways. And, and he says, if, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more? Your heavenly father, he says, I want you to know your heavenly father as one who loves, loves, loves to say yes. James 1 and 17 says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, your heavenly father is loving 
and generous and he does not change. And how do you know that? You know that because he did not withhold his greatest gift, his son. See, he sent his son to die in our place for our sins that we might have relationship with our heavenly father. He could have given anything, but he gave the best that he had. And he gave his son so willingly that we might know and be in relationship with him. And I just want you to think about a a, a moment where where you go like, okay, can I trust this God? Is he really a God that would say yes? And I just want you to think about a moment about a a conversation amongst the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What do you think that conversation was like before Jesus ever came to earth? I mean, as Jesus is planning, like, his time on earth and what he would do, what do you think that conversation was like? Do you ever spend time thinking about those questions? I'm weird, I do. I think about those questions. What was that conversation like? I remember, can you imagine, like, Jesus asking, like, hey, um, can I, like, I don't know, like, calm a storm? And you know the Father's like, yes, that would be awesome. You should totally calm, calm, calm a storm. Hey, can I, can I, like, walk on water? Would that, is that... Is that cool with us? Are we, am I good to walk on water once? And you know the Heavenly Father's like, that would be amazing. Well, can I get a buddy to do it with me? Yeah, yeah, you can get Peter, that'd be great. Like, you know there was a conversation and planning. And what was the Heavenly Father doing? Yes, yes. And when Jesus was born, what are the angels doing? They're singing, celebrating. Yes, yes, this is the picture of God. He is one who loves to say yes to his kids. So the question is this, are we people that are willing to take God at his word to actually pray big prayers, to actually ask big things? Are we? Oh gosh, I hope I'm not talking to myself. Are we willing? What would God do here if if we actually started praying big prayers? Please, for the love of God, I'm not talking to myself. I'll give you three books to think about, and I'll give you some, some really practical applications. Three books. The first is this, Praying Hide. It's a story of this man's prayer life. His name is Praying Hide, and he is, uh, the, the, the number of miracles and things that were done around his life are, are remarkable. I'd encourage you to maybe pick up that book if you need encouragement in your faith. Another one uh, is, I just picked up recently. It's uh, Prayer by Tim Keller, and anything by Tim Keller is a gift, and so I would encourage you to read that one. And the last one is this. This is a, a book on prayer for revival. It is called Give Him No Rest by Enroll um, Hulse. Enroll Hulse. Give Him No Rest. And that is how to pray specifically for revival of people. Would we be people that pray in expectation, perseverance, and trust? And what would God do here? Like, what would God do? Not in the ethereal, what would he actually do? I want to see God do something great here by City Tomball. Do you? Yes. I want to see lives changed. Do you? Yes. I want to see dead people come to life by the power of the Spirit because they're dead in sin and they need to be renewed by the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. Do you want to see that happen? I want to see lots of prayers answered. Do you? Do you? I do. That's why I'm here. I'm here to be your pastor. And I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm just the leader. And I need you. We need you. God needs you to actually take God at his word. 
we had an amazing event last past Wednesday. And it was a vision night to talk about where God is leading Bayou City Tomball. And the greatest part about any vision, um, for me anyway, is that it's not up to me to come up with a great, grandiose thing. Because I follow Jesus, and Jesus already called the play. Matthew 28. Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. And what does it look like to have a radical? What does it look like to have a radical focus on Jesus? It means we actually take him at his word. Are we actually going to go and invest in the lives of others that they might know him? At the end of that evening, I gave people an opportunity to write their hopes. What do they hope to see here at Bayou City Tomball? And that's what you see at the back in the back of the room. There's one back here on the on the right. Y'all can all look back there, right there, right there. It's there. And right over there. And I was amazed at the response. Let me just be honest. Um, there's so many times when you're like, I'm planning this out in my head and I don't know what's, what people are going to do. And we just presented, hey, this is where we're going as a church. This is what it looks like to be obedient to Jesus. I think that's where he's calling us. What is your hope at Bayou City? And nearly every single person wrote down some ideas and put them at the back of the room. These are your friends, these are your family members that have written these things. And what if God just answered half of those prayers? I mean, a lot of those are really good prayers. I've read half of them, I haven't read the other half. I've read that, that half. They're really good prayers. What if God starts saying yes? Yes to that prayer about our youth ministry. Yes about that marriage reconciliation. Yes about that. What if God actually started saying yes? It would be amazing. And you would have stories to share of God's faithfulness today, not just what he did many, many years ago because God is a God that loves to say yes. And so here's my encouragement challenge to you. Take out your phone after the service and go back to some of these prayer points. Maybe some of them resonate with you. And actually say, you know what? I'm willing to pray this alongside this person. I'm going to take a snap a photo of this card and I'm actually going to pray expectantly. I'm actually going to persevere in my prayer. And I'm actually going to trust that the God of the universe would say yes if I just believed what he said and did what he asked. And what would God do here? You're looking at it on the wall. And you've already said it. This is what I want God to do. He will do those things. He can do those things in his will if we move in as his people. So Lord, I don't know what you want in this church, but that's the church I want to be a part of. A lot of answered prayers. A lot of expectation. A lot of perseverance. A lot of trust in our Heavenly Father. And God will do amazing things in our midst. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell us how to simply engage with you. That you are a loving heavenly father. You are an infinite God who is intimate with us. 
And God, you want to say yes to your kids. You want to. We want to. You want us to ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. And you're a good dad who loves to say yes to his kids. So Lord, I pray that we would take you at your word. That we would beat on your chest our prayers. We would bring them to you knowing that you are a good God who will answer according to your will. Lord, I pray for the future of our community. I am so hope-filled with the people that are here and the things that you're going to do. I pray that we would be a risk-taking church because you are a good father who says, yeah, let's go. We love you. I lift up each person here to you. In your name we pray. Amen.